0: Good evening, everybody. This is the third week of our practice period on the Four Noble Truths. Last week, we talked about the hell realms, the realms of the suffering we have when we lack. And tonight, we're going to talk about the suffering of having enough. So I was just, uh, this last weekend, Thursday through Sunday, uh, at Esalen uh, in Big Sur and I was offering a retreat there for caregivers of people with traumatic brain injuries Mm -hmm. Um, and I got to see both the suffering of lack and the suffering of perfection. This place is so incredibly beautiful. Uh, it's right on the coast in Big Sur, and it was just amazing. So it was, it was quite um, uh, education for me to be in both worlds at the same time. Hmm. So there's three different realms that we're going to talk about tonight. The realm of the asuras, the heavenly realm, and the human realm. Well, let's dive in. So the asuras... These are a. This is a word we probably aren't familiar with, but in Hindu mythology, the Asuras were these kind of uh, god-like demigods, kind of somewhere between humans and and gods, and um, they were ca- they're characterized by anger and jealousy. So they have a lot, you know, they 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 have plenty, but they just can't seem to quite um, be happy with that. So these asuras are are, um, always jealous of what other people have, what other asuras have, what the gods have. Um, They're angry about it. They're obsessed with the sensual aspects of life. You know, the getting stuff, possessing things, having stuff. They're, They're endlessly engaged in wars of acquisition, You know, that it strikes me that Asura is a word we don't know, but middle-class American? Mm, maybe we do know that one. What it's like to have enough and not think we have enough. I think we have a lot in common with these Asuras. All of Western society seems to be mired in this Asura realm of suffering. So war is the human experience of the Asura realm. When we go out and we make wars because of greed, I want, I want your territory. I want what you have. I want recognition for my bravery. I want fame. Greed. Maybe even maybe I want love. Greed for all those things. But as we can know in, in our own experience of this, the Sisera realm, we get what we think we want, but the suffering doesn't go away. It's still there. You know, we get, we, we really want a two-foot longer boat. <laughs> and we get the two-foot longer boat, and then we suffer just as much as when we had the two-foot shorter boat. All right? <clears throat> so we fight for our ideas and our ideals, but we don't see that we already have enough, that we're already whole. So we go out and we fight for our borders, keep other people out, for our possessions, our position in society.
1: Hmm.
0: You know, the earth does not recognize that there's a border between Mexico and the United States. <laughs> That's an arbitrary line that we asuras have created to keep us in here and protect what we have from those people that want to take it away from us. We're the jealous gods. Oh. Yeah. Oh, the, the worthy And the unworthy are our ideas as Asuras. The haves and the have-nots are our ideas. I deserve this, you don't. That's our idea. So jealousy is the path we take into the Asura realm. You have something I want, and I'm going to be angry and um, acquisitive until I get it. You know, I don't know if you've noticed, but um, when car commercials come on TV, mm-hmm. I keep seeing the same thing over and over again. Uh, so someone is driving the Mercedes or the Kia or the, whatever the car that's being advertised is, and there's a certain smug look on the actor's face that kind of says, hmm, look at all you people,
1: <laughs>
0: I'm in this car. <laughs> Have you seen this? I mean, I see this on on almost every one of the ads, so it must work, right? It must be intentional because they're repeating it again and again. That's the Asura realm right there. Uh, They're they're really selling the better than feeling. They're not selling the car. And so we, we as Asuras think that we can get that better than feeling by buying the car. And maybe we actually do for a little bit. You know, you drive that car off the lot and you, and you have it. And then, oh, the, the first time somebody swings the, you know, their door into you in the parking lot or you get the paint scratched or you just get tired of this new car, then, you know, it doesn't work anymore. <clears throat> yeah. But we can also be jealous um, to possess a, 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 not just an object but a person uh, or to, to possess love or... have a child, to have the right marriage, to uh, live in the right place, you know, to, to have those, those kind of possessions. Or, or assets, you know, like wealth or beauty. Those are other things that we can be jealous of and, and grasping towards. Social standing, maybe. Um, or, or, or good fortune, winning the lottery. You know, mm-hmm. the, the lottery is the game of the asaurus. Taking the money that you already have and spending it to try and get more uh, in a way that you didn't earn. <laughs> it's the perfect illustration of what, it's, what it feels like to be an Asura. But you know, they, they've, they've done these studies of these lottery winners, and, and they quickly revert back to the level of happiness they had before winning the money. Now, there's a bump of, bump of pleasure and happiness, but quickly you're right back to where you, you started before. So this jealousy that drives us into the Asura realm is always based on comparison. I don't have enough, you have more. And Tai talks about the three complexes that we carry around. The uh, superiority complex, the inferiority complex, and the equality complex.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So let will let you think about the equality complex for a while. I'm not going to explain that one right away. You can chew on that. <laughs> yeah, you can see a lot of people go, oh, equality complex? What's that? Hmm. Uh, we have a sense of entitlement that we carry around as a suras. You know, I I deserve this. You know, it, 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 it fuels these complexes. Um, you know, there's a saying in Zen the way is easy, it just precludes picking and choosing. Imagine what it would be like to not be picking and choosing that this is better, I want this. Oh, that's, I oh, don't oh, know, you, you, you can have that, that's not good. Um, but what would you imagine what that would be like to step out of that?
1: Hmm.
0: I care, I have a calligraphy from Thich Nhat Hanh on uh, my bookshelf, and it says, You have enough. That's a powerful teaching to help us uh, get out of this asura realm. So these ideas of the asura about gain and loss, that we always have to get more and not lose, these are just un- impermanent ideas. They're not underlying truths about the about the, the, the world. You know, when, when we get that new car, um, is it a gain? Is it a loss? Hmm. Who knows? There's an old Chinese story about a farmer, and the farmer has sold his crops for the year, and he sends his son into town to the market to buy the supplies they're going to need for the year. They need, you know, they have to put up their food, uh, because all the income for a farmer comes at one time. And the son goes into the market, and the son decides, rather than buy all this stuff that his father sent him to buy, he bought a horse so he bought back the horse and the neighbors see the kid come back with the horse and no uh, grains and things that they needed to put up and they say, oh, this is terrible, this is terrible and the farmer says, "Eh, who knows what's good and bad so the farmer was actually able to use the horse to uh, cultivate more land than he would have cultivated just by himself so he grew a lot more crop and was able to sell it for more money. And the neighbors say, oh, such good fortune. Mm -hmm. And the farmer says, well, who knows what's good and bad. So uh, one day the horse uh, runs off. Someone left the gate open. And the horse ran away. And the neighbors say, oh, what terrible fortune. And the farmer says, "Mm, who knows what's good or bad. The horse comes back a couple weeks later with another horse in tow. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. Who knows what's good and bad. The son gets on the horse, rides around, gets bucked off and breaks his leg. Oh, that's terrible. Who knows what's good and bad. He can't help on the field anymore. The army comes through town conscripting all the young men to go and fight in the emperor's war. And the son is not conscripted because he has a broken leg. The whole villagers say, oh, what good fortune. And the farmer says, who knows what's good and bad. So these ideas of of, uh, gain and loss, they're just uh, our small ideas. You know, I had to give up when I was working as a chaplain, I had to give up the idea that I could measure whether I was effective or not. And I would, I had this, I had, I would have an experience of thinking, "Wow, I really nailed that," you know, that whatever that interaction was, you know, and and you know, who knows if I really nailed it or not? But what happened to me over and over and over again is I'd be in Safeway or I'd be walking in the park or something, and someone would come up to me and they'd say. Oh, do you remember me? And I would say, uh, no. And they say, well, you know, you visited with my mother and you said, da, 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 da. And it was so helpful. And I have no recollection of ever meeting those folks or saying anything or doing anything. Um, But apparently it was helpful. So the things I thought were helpful, maybe not. The things I didn't even remember, maybe they were helpful. So I don't think I have the breadth of vision to know whether I can judge something good or bad. And, and I certainly don't have the um, view over time to know whether something's good or bad. So maybe it's best if we give up these ideas of gain and loss that we carry as asuras in the world. Maybe these gains and losses we're pursuing are ephemeral. They're based on uh, an ignorant judgment of things. So what's the way out of the Asura realm? Because it's a realm we spend a lot of our time in. So the Brahma-Viharas are the way out. The Brahma-Viharas, they're, they're known as the abodes of the Brahma's or the sublime attitudes. They are the Buddhist answer to this kind of jealousy and acquisitiveness of the of the asuras. So there's four of them. Um, and it's the, it, the, it's the practice of metta, of loving-kindness. That's the uh, Sanskrit word for loving-kindness. And a karuna is the word for compassion, the practice of compassion. Mudita, sympathetic joy, is the third. And the fourth, which I've uh, spoken about recently, Upeksha, which is equanimity, equanimity. So those, practice, those four practices are one of our ways out of this Asura realm. And hopefully we'll be able to take those practices up in more detail. Because they're just beautiful, beautiful practices. Practices that, that generate, instead of jealousy and acquisitiveness and, and competition, they develop a relationship to the world of, of opening our hearts to whatever's there. And what a lovely way to walk through the world. The other way out is um, through ethics. And we have our five mindfulness trainings that are ethical guides. Um, so, you know, we, we make a vow not to steal, not to lie, not to misuse sexuality, not to kill, and to, to consume wisely. And those, those ethical um, Guidelines can go a long way to helping us see this acquisitiveness and um, competitiveness of the Asura realm. Okay, so that's the that's the suffering of the the Asuras who think they don't have enough. But what about the heavenly realm?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So this is the realm where everything is perfect. <laughs> So I mentioned that I went to uh, went to Esalen. and wow, I mean it's pretty dang perfect. <laughs> so here here it is on the on in the Big Sur coast, um, away from everything, and this this magical piece of real estate. I think there's 87 acres in this in this retreat center, and uh, there's a hot spring. And a, a stream that comes through that provides the water. And so this beautiful coastline with the waves crashing, and this blue sky that just stretches on forever and just until it just dives into the Pacific, where the earth curves away. Mm. There's monarch butterflies everywhere on their on their migration. Everywhere you look, the trees are full of monarch butterflies. The food is fantastic. The baths, these, these hot spring baths are just amazing. This 119 degree water that comes out of the earth that you just turn this tap in this tub and this water comes in. It's, it's lovely. The, the beds are comfortable. The pillows are fluffy. The architecture is just so well thought out and attention to detail. This meditation hall It's obviously built by a shipwright. It's this round building and inside um, every detail is just gorgeous. There's a built-in bench that runs all around the inside of this building that was built in place of of bent redwood and impeccably done. So everywhere you look, it's just, it's just absolutely uh, amazing. <clears throat> so in the heavenly realm everything is like that mm-hmm. you know the inhabitants are gorgeous <laughs> there's plenty of what you need there's nobody who's ill or in pain mm. so why is this a hell realm I mean, isn't this the American dream mm-hmm. that that we make the, the shining city on the hill and that it's all like this isn't the idea of heaven mm-hmm. our cultural reward mm-hmm. you know in our culture if we do it right if we behave well we will go to a place where it's like that mm. so most of us actually live with this kind of heavenly realm uh, in our lives most of us we have an abundance of what we need and we have an abundant sh- we have abundant shelter and housing and food and friends and safety. We have intelligence. We have time. We have the ability to practice. We, you know, we can turn on unlimited Netflix and watch all the movies we want whenever we want to. We can travel to Hawaii and go to the beach when we want to. We have access to the whole world you know the biggest the biggest Im- uh, impediment to our access to the whole world is this long airplane flight oh such a bummer you know <laughs> oh you know, I, c- I could actually go to vietnam when i wanted to go to vietnam you know it was it's heaven yet mostly we're not happy why well there's a number of reasons First of all, in the heavenly realm, there's no contrast. Um, Streets that are paved with gold are only beautiful if there are streets that aren't paved with gold. If all the streets are paved with gold, they're probably annoyingly glaring and bright. Right? Oh, the sun shining on the gold street again. You know, it'd be like driving over the bridge uh, over here, doing that one time a year when you, when you come over and you drive right into the sun. You know, it'd be like that all the time, driving on, on, on streets paved with gold. <clears throat> How do we know if something's beautiful if we don't also know when something is not beautiful? Would, would something still be beautiful if that's all we ever saw? I think about um, somebody like uh, uh, Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos that, that effectively have enough money that they can have anything, uh, really of any size. If they, want, if they wanted to buy a cruise ship, they could buy a cruise ship. Right? So how does anything have any value mm-hmm. or worth
1: mm-hmm.
0: when you can have anything? When you're in the, in the heavenly realm, how do you know that this thing has value? So uh, a, a contrast that, um, that, that I keep coming back to in my personal experience is um, hot and cold running water. You know, you go out camping uh, for a week in the, in, in the mountains, and all you have is this ice-cold water to bathe in. And then you come home, and those, that first shower you take, it is heaven. It's great. By the second or third shower, yeah, you forgot about it again, right? <laughs> If you have no contrast, you don't know that the shower you're taking is, uh, is, is an uh, incredibly heavenly experience. So I, I noticed also when i go to Hawaii, and, and go to Hawaii fairly often because my wife's family is, is there, um, that the most precious days on the beach is the first day and the last day. <laughs> <laughs> The other days, the beach is kind of like, oh, this isn't quite the right beach, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Not got enough shade, or there's some people over there playing music. Or... <laughs> Without the contrast, the beauty of that beach becomes boring, right? It's, yeah. So I have to come back home and go, oh, it was so great, I want to go back, and then repeat the whole, the whole cycle. <laughs> so part of the, the, the phenomenon I realized about this is that um, yesterday's luxury becomes today's necessity. So this was so true in, in uh, my family. I watched this. We had a microwave. Great luxury. I mean, the greatest thing. This is when we had young kids. And we moved to a house with a built-in microwave. So... We were moving and we've got this microwave and we don't know what to do with it, so we put it on the counter in the kitchen and say, well, we'll figure out because we don't really need this anymore. Well, we soon got used to having two microwaves. (laughs) So you're heating up a bunch of leftovers, right? Now you don't have to wait for one thing to get done. You've got two microwaves, right? (laughs) So then we moved again to another house without a built-in microwave and we were deprived by having one microwave. man (laughs) no contrast we don't know how lucky we are Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so another reason why we're not happy in the heavenly realm is a perfect life is meaningless we need challenges to rise to without something pulling us forward what's the point You know, it's, it's, it's not the goal necessarily that we're striving for. The, the work itself is meaningful. If the goal is already accomplished, if everything's perfect and there's no goal, how do we have meaningful work? We did on, on New Year's Eve here, or the day after New Year's Day, we did 108 prostrations. And for those who did that, this is one prostration a minute uh, 108 times. That's almost two hours. And there's a physical component to that. Th- that's not easy for bodies that aren't used to doing something like that. You you feel that. That's hard to essentially do 108 push-ups and standing up and do it. Uh, but that's part of what makes it so meaningful, is that it has this kind of difficulty associated with it. If, if we were um, sitting in a chair that did the bowing for us we didn't have to do anything, it it wouldn't mean the same, you know? Zen practice is intentionally hard. There are, especially um, in the cold parts of Asia, there's traditions of sitting in the unheated room hour after hour, day after day, all winter long. And they found that that there's something that quickens you about that. There's something that brings you into the core of your body. Um, When we have these Zen practices, when we walk in a certain way, when we sit in a certain way, when we restrict our preferences, it helps us. In heaven, there's no restriction. So another reason we're not happy is that um, in the heavenly realm... Even when everything's perfect, the truth of impermanence rears its head. Everything changes, so even this will change. So these, these people in the heavenly realms, or these gods in the heavenly realms, they're perpetually young and strong and beautiful, but when the first gray hair arrives... They're devastated. They fall apart. They suffer greatly. We have a practice that helps us not fall into that. It's the five remembrances. We've talked about that before. I'm of the nature to grow old. There's no way to escape growing old. I'm of the nature to have ill health, the nature to die. These sorts of reminders are really important because if we just live in this heavenly realm where everything's perfect, we will be shocked when it's not. And because of impermanence, someday it will not. So this is one of the reasons why I really have enjoyed this work as a chaplain in healthcare, because when you have a a new diagnosis of an illness, or you are now uh, understanding that you are going to die, Suddenly, things change, and the heart breaks open in a way that it doesn't when you think you are in the heavenly realm of perpetual health and youth and ability. So it's a real honor to be able to be with people at that stage, and to help them. Because that's one of the characteristics of the heavenly realm, is that you think there's no suffering, so you have no suffering muscles. And when suffering does rear its head, which it must, you don't know how to hold it. And you fall apart. And you suffer deeply. So to be there with, with people is, is um, an honor. So the very idea of this perfection is self-centered. Because it. it doesn't allow the truth of non-self to come forth. It's perfect, in quotes, because it matches my preferences. You you and I could see the same scene, and it might be perfect to me and imperfect to you. There's nothing about the scene that makes it perfect. Perfection is self-centered based on my own judgments of it. And my perfect circumstances are built on an immense amount of work of other people to make it that way. So, Esalen, this perfect place, has a staff of 100 people. Those people are working hard to make it perfect for me. I didn't cook one meal for myself when I was there, I didn't build those buildings. I didn't maintain those immense grounds. I didn't farm in the farm or garden in the garden. I didn't do any of that stuff. Other people are doing it for me. So my idea of perfection doesn't include all that imperfection and difficulty and struggle that it took to to bring it to me. So as our awareness deepens, we see that we aren't separate selves. And we see that this heavenly realm is an illusion. I don't actually deserve it. I'm not actually the self-made man that we have in our Western culture as the ideal. No, it's all done with others. I can't enjoy that illusion of perfection because it leaves too much out. We take the Bodhisattva vow as Zen practitioners for this very reason. The Bodhisattva vow is that we will not enjoy our own awakening at the expense of others, that we turn back and we give to others everything that we have received, so that everyone can awaken together. Because there's no, there, uh, um, an individual awakening makes no sense. It makes no sense. We chant the many beings are a number of us. I vow to save them. It's an impossible vow, yet we have to make it to protect ourselves from falling into the heavenly realm of thinking that we can have our perfection at the expense of others. Okay. <clears throat> the last of the realms. I'm doing this a little out of order. So if we if we could imagine a timeline or, or a, a line... You're you're the the lowest realm, for lack of a better word. The most physical suffering realm of hell is down here. And then it's the animal realm. And it's the hungry ghost realm. And then it's the human realm. And the asura realm. And the heavenly realm. But I've left the human realm, which is back here in the middle, for last. And the reason I did that... Is that the human realm encompasses the other realms, and that we need to talk about the other realms first. So, as human beings, we are very, very fortunate. We have the possibility to see cause and effect, we have the possibility of understanding how we suffer and why we suffer, and we can transcend our suffering. We can transform our suffering into liberation. This is an amazing gift that we have, and it's easy for us to forget this and neglect this gift. We believe that we don't suffer like the animals, or like the gods, but we do. We're only vaguely aware as human beings of the other sorts of suffering that are going on in the world, but it is within us. It is within us. So all these realms really that we've described are metaphors for the human realm of suffering. They're ways for us as human beings to think about our suffering and and see it more clearly, conceptualize it. And we're cycling constantly between these realms. One minute in the hell realm. The next minute, the asura realm. We're just always moving, always moving. But we're in one realm or the other. Jen Chozen Bays is a Zen teacher in Portland, and she's written a, a wonderful book in which she talks about this. I just want to read this passage because she said it so well um, to describe this. So she says, Imagine you're on a your way to a meditation retreat in your new car, the sun is out and your favorite music is playing. Everything is perfect. The god realm. You're in the god realm now. Someone sideswipes and nearly hits your car and you arrive and sit down to meditate feeling furious. You're in asura. Pretty soon you feel hungry. Your stomach growls. You dream of delicious food and salivating. Enter the animal realm. You pass the time fantasizing about how to spend the money when you win the lottery. So you've dipped your toe into the God realm, or the heavenly realm. You can make much better use of the money than the old geezer farmer who won it last week, the <laughs> jealous Asura realm. <clears throat> Winning the lottery would mean a Mercedes. Ah, now you're in the hungry ghost realm. The illusion fades as your knees begin to burn. You're in agony. When will the bell ring to end the pain? Ah! So that's the mild hell realm. You begin to get annoyed with the people running the retreat, but reason with yourself, the human realm of reasoning. You undertake loving-kindness meditation toward the people who are leading the retreat, Ah, again, the human realm, and it works. The knee pain disappears as you're filled with a blissful sensation of warmth radiating from your heart back to the heavenly realm. The dinner bell rings and on and on and on, right? (laughs) Sound kind of typical? We humans, we're just going, zoom, 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 all the way, all the time. It's really important that we don't waste this precious human life. The Buddha admonished us to this. We can see and transform our suffering. We are unique among the creatures that we know. Put in the the modern vernacular, we can see our suffering. We can collect the metadata on ourselves. We 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 can see all that from the outside. And we can perceive cause and effect and the path to liberation. We can use that metadata to practice wisdom and compassion. Others can't. We can see the suffering in other types of beings. Um, We can have compassion and others can't. And we here in this room in particular are very fortunate as humans because we have a Sangha. We have an inclination to practice. We have somehow stumbled across this practice. We have the free time the teacher, the support, the freedom from basic wants that so many people have. We have enough of everything that we need. We are among the most fortunate of the most fortunate. Don't waste this precious life. And these abilities that we have, these gifts that we've received, these are temporary. We will not always have them. You know, Sarah and I both work with dying people, and we see all the time this accelerated process of loss of people that are dying and losing all the things they took for granted all their lives. And it's a heck of a shock. But we don't have to, we don't have to live that way. We don't have to live in the ignorance that this stuff will last all the time. We can know So one of our primary sufferings as humans is turning away from this precious, brief human life. We call this ignorance. We know we have these opportunities to practice. We turn away. We hear the truth. We turn away. We know how to practice. We turn away. This is ignorance, this turning away from what we know to be true. Each one of us is a unique expression of the universal mind. We can live awakening and know that we're living awakening. We can use that awareness to help other people. Another part of the Bodhisattva chant, The many beings are a number of us, I vow to save them. We can reiterate that again and again and again. We can be bodhisattvas. We can be the best that is possible for a human to be, a bodhisattva. The Buddha talked about transcending birth and death. flummoxed me for a long time. How's that possible? Am I going to live forever? If I practice well enough, am I going to live forever? But what he meant from that is we can transcend this cycle of feeling, grasping after it, whatever we we have felt from, and giving birth to one who grasps, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and then holding and defending that until we are the one who dies. That's what we can give up. That's what it means to transcend birth and death. That when a feeling comes up, we don't automatically have to grasp after what we think will satisfy that feeling. Mm -hmm. The Ajahn Samado is a a western uh, Thai forest monk, and he lived in Ajahn Chah's monastery in Thailand. And one day, uh, a group of people came to visit the monastery. And there was this particularly beautiful young woman that came as part of this group. And so after the group left, Ajahn Chah asked Ajahn Samedo, who was a young man at the time, said, well, what did you think of her? And Ajahn Samedo said, I liked, but I don't want. And I love the way he said that. He, he didn't deny that there was a feeling that came up, a craving, an attraction. But he said, I'm not going to pursue that. I'm not going to grasp and chase after that.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. He was showing us how to live in the human realm, to not deny our humanity, but to not chase after everything either. Okay, so how do we get the, what's the way out of the human realm? I brought our little uh, statue here. This is Jizo. Jizo is the Japanese version of the uh, Bodhisattva Ksitigarbha. Garba. Uh, is the one who opens the doors to the hell realms and and lets us out. In the Jizo doesn't have this. Um, Jizo in in, Jap, in the Japanese form is the, primarily the protector of women and children. You'll find little dressed jizos in cemeteries uh, at children's grave sites. Uh, and, and women make clothes for them and, and put clothes on them and then replace them. Uh, in the traditional representation of Kasiti Garba, Kasiti Garba carries a staff. And there are five or six rings on the staff depending on which version of these hell realms you're looking at. But what they symbol... Symbolized is that Kasiti Garba will bang his staff on the on the earth, and the hell realms have no choice but to open their doors. So Jizo um, here is our our helper, and it's t- it's said that Jizo stands at the crossroads of four paths leading out of the heavenly realms and the hell realms. So if you are subject to anger and aversion and Jizo is standing there and you don't pay attention to what Jesus is trying to do to help you, back to your hell realm. If you're grasping and greedy, hungry ghost realm, away you go. If you're ignoring and ignorant, it leads you right to the animal realm. But Jesus will help you find the road that leads to practicing the Dharma. And that's the road to freedom. And it's also the road less taken. Mm-hmm. So as humans, and particularly this group of humans, we have that ability to take that road. And we can remember that we're not alone, that there is, there, there is a bodhisattva there to help remind us every time, banging his staff on <coughs> the ground and rattling those rings and reminding us to take the path practicing the Dharma. So precious. Okay, so that's our trip through the mythical hell realms of Buddhism. Um, <clears throat> I'm a little undecided about what we should do next week. So I, I'm gonna think about it. I, I think we're gonna need to spend a little bit more time looking at our suffering. The Buddha, the Buddha, when he was asked to get, engage in, in complex philosophical arguments, wouldn't engage. And he would say, I teach only suffering and the liberation from suffering. And the Four Noble Truths are just that. They are, the, they are teaching suffering and the liberation. But it doesn't do us much good to, to go talk about liberation from suffering if we haven't really looked at our suffering. So I'm still mulling. We need to spend more time on suffering before we start go and start talking about liberation. So, anyway, thank you for your patience and uh, helping me unfold this. <laughs>